Hello, and welcome to episode 57 of the Medical Device Success podcast and videocast. I am Ted Newell, your host. Thank you very much for being with me today, especially for those of you that are returning. Thanks so much for the support as the podcast continues to grow. And for those of you that are here for the first time, welcome to the program. The title of today's episode is called Med Scout, Helping Your Sales Team Prospect and Sell, a Revenue Intelligence Platform. Skylar Talley, CEO of MedScout, joins us today to share how they go about pulling together and presenting procedural data, prescription data, and firmographic information, and then present it in a unique way to help sales teams be more productive. This is all done very economically when compared to some of the very expensive data companies on the market today. With Skyler, his co-founder Casey Shattuck, and the rest of the MedScout team is doing is impressive. Important note, don't confuse Skyler's company with the German medical tourism company also called MedScout. Skyler's MedScout can be found at medscout.io. As podcasts go, the Medical Device Success Podcast is a bit unusual in that it is almost always set up as a live event for members of the MedTech Leaders community to attend if they want to. Today, you will hear me refer to questions from one such attendee, Lisa Bixel, CEO of the Bixel Medical Marketing Group. The Bixel Medical Marketing Group is a terrific life sciences marketing firm. She is a member of the MedTech Leaders, and she asks great questions, which adds a lot of depth to the podcast. Thank you, Lisa. For those of you interested in MedTech Leaders, go to medtechleaders.net to learn more. The Get Involved plan is only $14 per year, and there is a free trial. Check the show notes for links to Skylar's LinkedIn profile and the MedScout website. I know some of you will want to get in contact with him. And if you like this podcast, please rate it, recommend it to a friend, or subscribe. Now it's time to get together with Skylar to learn about how MedScout is helping MedTech companies and their sales teams fill their pipelines with qualified prospects while not inadvertently missing good prospects. Skylar, welcome to the Medical Device Success Podcast and Videocast. It's really ter terrific to have you on the program today. Thanks, Ted. Happy to be here. Well, this is really interesting, and it's funny how people meet in this medical world, this med tech world, and you and I met on LinkedIn, and you invited me to take a look at the technology, and I get lots of invitations like this. You know, I get lots of invitations from people that would like to be on the podcast, and you know, I took a look, and even though your website is a, right now, I know you're working on it as a single page <laughs> website, but it, it immediately resonated with me. And then when you and I got in, together on the phone and had our first conversation so I could explore it further, 
I'm really impressed with what you and your colleague, your co-founder and your other teammates have done with MedScout. So tell us a little about who you are, what your role is at MedScout and what MedScout is as a company. Yeah, absolutely. And and first of all, thank you for the kind words. You know, it's been a fun, we've been working on this since really November of last year together, but Casey, my co-founder has been working on this for a couple of years. So um, it's been a long time coming and, and we're happy to be in the market now. A little bit about my background. I went to University of Texas here in Austin uh, thought I was going to go do finance or uh, kind of private equity related work, w- wasn't taking a full course load my senior year and wanted to kind of understand what the whole startup ecosystem that was really starting to take off around the 2012-2013 timeframe looked like in Austin. So I had a rugby buddy that was joining the sales team at a company called Sparefoot. It's a uh, marketplace for self-storage units. So you could pull up a, a market uh, search 10 by 10s and find open storage units to, to reserve. So I joined the sales team there as a part-time job my senior year. Really liked the fast-paced environment, liked working directly with technology teams. And so that turned into a full-time role as soon as I graduated from UT. Uh, it was really sort of my, call it mini MBA in maybe more than a mini MBA in technology startups. I spent three and a half years at Sparefoot getting to work on marketplace problems and then moving over to helping facilities enlist in the platform and market themselves and think about revenue optimization, those sorts of problems. So spent a a good portion of the first part of my career there and then went to an early stage consumer startup uh, where we were working on a facial recognition product I won't get into too many details. It's not that great of a story. I wasn't there for too long, but ultimately ended up joining a company called Alien Vault. And what Alien Vault had done really well was they created one of the first cybersecurity platforms that was accessible for small to medium-sized businesses. And they had um, kind of paired themselves with what are called managed security service providers that would come in, install Alien Vault, and then manage a hospital security, for instance, healthcare was a big vertical for us, or a community credit union was another big vertical for us. So that company was growing really quickly. I joined uh, beginning of 2017 on the path to the IPO. We were, we were working on an exit, didn't end up going public, but we were acquired by AT&T. And so that was in August of 2018. And uh, to be honest, I wasn't too excited about working at AT&T, uh, going from a startup to the, the biggest of the big companies, but it ended up being an incredible experience. So I came in to AT&T and they wanted to establish AT&T cybersecurity within AT&T business um, as a separate business unit with its own leadership team and, and kind of technology stack. So we were the team to do that and was lucky enough to be asked to launch a, a managed service within AT&T uh, using Alien Vault technology, so the newly acquired technology. I was lucky enough to be paired on the operations side with a gentleman named Casey Shattuck. Casey had been in the Marines. He was a Marine intelligence uh, analyst and so was brought into AT&T to build out their federal uh, cybersecurity operations practice and had done well there. So they paired the two of us together to launch an offer called Managed Threat Detection and Response. Um, So 
We put that out into the market 2019, and we're kind of in the trenches together growing that. And then eventually, uh, he brought me this side project he had been working on it. And we'll maybe kind of get into the origin story. But that's how I met the co-founder that had Casey had been working on this with his dad, who's been in medical device sales for 35 plus years. And so we took that and started running with it last November. So I'll pause there. I don't know if there's anything. It's a long introduction, but just kind of wanted to give the story of, of how I ended up in medical tech um, and a bit of my background in startups here in Austin. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's great. And uh, you're the CEO of MedScout, I am, uh, which yeah. I've already indicated in the introduction, but you're the CEO. And uh, as an aside about your career, a point I'd like to make, uh, a couple of points I'd like to make is you've had two out of three good exits, which is pretty amazing for a guy your age and not really usual. So congratulations on that. The second thing is your comment about working for AT&T. I always recommend to people that ask me about careers in med tech and medical devices to try to get a job early on with one of the large companies. And the reason being is that those companies can teach you a lot. Like some companies have internal universities that you can sign up for courses, but you learn a lot about procedure, process, organization, leadership, and so on. And I always feel like if you can join a large company, get promoted a couple times, then you can move on to smaller companies, which will really appreciate the experience that you have. But that large company experience will always act as an anchor. So anyway, I, I appreciate your comment about working for AT&T shirts. Sometimes it's not great to feel like you're in a behemoth company. And yeah. You're just one little itty bitty pawn in a huge game. But it can be very valuable. Of course, working in small organizations where you're at the heart of everything going on is very exciting, which is what you're leading right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great point, Ted. You know, the way that I kind of have that conversation with people is that if you go where there's growth you're and, and you're willing to raise your hand, you can work on interesting problems. And often that's in smaller companies, but sometimes you're lucky enough to be to, to work on projects, new things in larger companies as well. Um, but I think you're kind of spot on in the sense of early in your career, working with a larger company that's growing and is invested in training and development, and then getting a, a couple of, you know, putting some points on the board, so to speak, and then going small is a, is a really thoughtful way to kind of build your career path, so. Right. Okay, so tell us about MedScout. Tell and uh, actually, why don't you start with the origin story because that's really part of the foundation of what MedScout's all about, which is just fascinating. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I mentioned getting paired with Casey, Casey's dad, and it started to speak to Casey's dad's background. He's been in medical device uh, leadership and sales positions for thirty-five plus years. Uh, companies like Fox Hollow, Philips Volcano. He was at Philips Healthcare for a while, Biotricity. So just kind of a litany of, of awesome startups and larger companies in the cardiovascular space. Origin story for MedScout. So Casey's dad, uh, Casey Shattuck Sr. was at Philips Healthcare and brought a platform in that helped him use procedural data to figure out how to grow his cardiovascular team. So he was getting access to market intelligence, physician profiles, their procedural makeup, 
And that helped him be kind of smart about how he managed his team. So he uh, he gets the itch and he goes back to a small startup and they go looked at that same vendor and it was just prohibitively expensive for them to bring in house. So you have Casey over here who's working his day job at AT&T and his dad comes and says, hey, I'm wondering, I think that there's an opportunity to build something like this for small companies. You know, is there, can you try to hack something together in your nights and weekends and see what you can do here? So Casey goes and pulls down some open source tools and grabs some available data from CMS, some older freely available data and puts it in these open source tools. And it ends up being awesome for his dad's company. They find new prospects and territories that they weren't aware of, uh, even ones, even geographies that they were familiar with. And then they kind of just put feelers out into their network and sell a couple of licenses. But really, it's just a side project. So call that the 2019 through first half of 2020 uh, timeframe. They bring me in in November, and I had been kind of actively, I'd spent a lot of time, let's just say, thinking about what my next move after AT&T was. And this is, I've always wanted to start a company, and I'd kind of centered on actually a tool for sales teams in the field, for operations teams, the B2B product uh, versus consumer. And so this really, when Casey took me out to lunch to kind of explain what he'd been doing, my ears immediately perked up. And then to his credit, they already had paying customers. They had figured out a, a niche. They kind of had a hypothesis on who would be a good fit for and why. So we took that from that lunch and in November and really just started running with it. I am, I'm lucky enough to have some friends in medical device roles and senior sales roles across a few different uh, types of products. So I hit them up immediately and said, hey, I uh, want to do some user research with you, uh, just run through what your day looks like, the tools that you're using, problems that you face on a regular basis, how budgeting works, just the, the kind of general persona development. So throughout November and December, we probably did, I think, around 25 of those, maybe 30 in some capacity, developed a hypothesis on how to move away from the open source tools into our own product and what that first version would look like. Casey started putting kind of the preliminary code in place. And I started asking and kind of looking at my network to see if there'd be any interest in some seed capital. So incorporated the company in my at my parents' uh, kitchen counter on just, I think it was actually, I think it may have been Christmas Eve. It was either Christmas Eve or the day before Christmas Eve, the 23rd, because we had gotten our first interest from an investor who is actually the co-founder of that Sparefoot company. So as you mentioned, they just closed, I think it was a $2.1 billion transaction uh, this year. So he's a pretty active angel investor. I had mentioned what we were doing with MedScout and he was willing to invest. So we incorporated late December, started purchasing data and building the platform in January, February, March, closed our first customer in April. And then Casey and I have been full-time at this since April 15th of this year. So yeah, that was a kind of fat, it feels like a long time, but it also feels like a very short and compressed time, depending on the perspective you're looking at it. But hopefully that gives you a picture of, of where we've come since November of this year. That's terrific. In the med tech world, that is a super fast <laughs> development cycle yeah. <laughs> because we're used to, we're used to regulatory issues that can take a, a product years, you know, of development and then 
regulatory processes, possibly even clinical trials and regulatory processes before you even get to a launch. It can be, you know, three, five, 10, 15 years, who knows what it is, even for a medical device. So anyway, congratulations on that. A couple of things I want to point out to the listeners is that one of the things that Skylar just mentioned was in doing his research, going out and talking to 20 people to understand the personas. It's also like a voice of the customer research, which is really, really important. And to do that, to help really refine and define what you want to bring to market is so important and it'll end up helping you with, you know, value propositions and the messaging to your customers and so on. But the most important thing is to make sure you're creating a a product and or service that has value, which uh, it looks to me, you have hit one out of the park. So I think since you talked to those 20 people, you've talked to quite a few more as you've gone through this, you know, continued development. How many people do you think you've talked to overall as you've been refining this? Oh, over a hundred. Wow. For sure. Probably closer to 150. Um, between my network, you know, the Mr. Shaddock's network, Casey's dad, and then people in this space have been, I mean, it's a relationship-based business. So that was one of the learnings that I've had pretty quickly is that um, within your particular specialty, so say ortho or vascular um, within med tech, it can be a decently small world, right? And so we've been lucky enough to connect with individuals that have been uh, kind enough to make introductions and things like that. So it's been an awesome learning experience. I've got a couple of notebooks full of conversational notes and takeaways from all the phone calls. So yeah, I would say 120 to 150 plus at this point. Okay. Why don't you take us, uh, why don't you give us a look? Sure. Yeah. So um, this is the land where you land it within the platform today. Um, So you can do a lot of different things. You can search for physicians by specialty hospital system, volume across CPT, ICD-10 and prescriptions. You can also take the kind of the inverse approach of that and search for medical centers and then tie back into the physicians that are practicing there. I think what we found to be really helpful for our first customers and the, and the customers that are trialing is we will actually develop targeting criteria with sales management. So we come in and say, hey, what's the campaign that you want to run right now? Um, who are the doctors you want to go after? Let's build some targeting criteria so that your reps can come in and immediately click one button and start to center down on their territory and start to get a bit more tactical. So I'll zoom in on the Austin area just really quick. Um, and just you starts to break down the volume here within the table. As you can see, I was looking at this physician's profile earlier and thought he represented a good example. Uh, so Dr. Fote here, we bring back sort of firmographic information about the physician here. So phone numbers, email addresses, medical school affiliations. And then we go and look at all of our procedural data and tie that back to the actual hospitals where Dr. Fote is practicing at. Uh, In addition to breaking down things like the comorbidities of his patient population, which we can also work into that targeting criteria that I mentioned. From there, we start to get pretty detailed with a breakdown of Dr. Fote's practice. So Four years of data in the platform right now. We'll start with the high level kind of categorical breakdown 
of the codes that he's billing. Um, and then we can get pretty detailed with regards to what's driving revenue at his practice and then just where his overall volume is categorically. So can do that across CPTs, ICD-10 diagnosis codes, uh, prescription volume. So we can actually see the prescriptions that are coming out of this particular practice. Uh, we break down the referrals that are coming into the practice. So who are the radiologists sending Dr. Fote uh, patients? Uh, who are the other vascular surgeons he's particularly maybe uh, collaborating with? Things like that. And then finally, we break down um, up to two years of Sunshine data subject to the Sunshine Act, so open payment data, which we found to be pretty helpful as you're going into a new doctor to understand sort of the industry presence around a given physician, so to speak. And even with doctors you've been working with consistently, you may not know who uh, who's taking them out to lunch or who, who's paying them to go to a conference, which can be helpful within sales and, and kind of engagement conversations. So what we're optimizing for is that that rep comes in here, starts to break down their territory, or maybe we've helped them break down their territory and we create prospect lists. So you can add to an existing prospect list. And then at that point, that physician is now available here within the platform, easy to access. And then this is where our mobile app comes into play as well. So once a physician's on a prospect list, that rep can quickly pull up the physician profile, what sales stage they're in, all of those things, add notes. And then we add a, have another view here, which allows them to quickly organize them with regards to where they are in the sales cycle. And these can be customized per your sales stage, going back to your medical tech uh, sales podcast on a closed loop sales process and really getting smart about how you define sales stages, that's where we want to build out the capabilities here within prospect list management. So yeah, that's that's kind of the 30,000 foot overview really quick. I'll go ahead and, and stop share and we can kind of take it from wherever from here, but hopefully that gives everybody a picture. Right. No, that's great. So I've got a couple of questions from uh, Lisa. She says, what you describe sounds like it is comparable to offerings of definitive healthcare and clairvoyance and others. Uh, you and I talked about IQ via the other yep. day. Um, other than a price point, which you reference as being different, what are other differentiators? Yeah, I think the where we're really investing is to create the best tool for field teams. And, and in, that kind of goes back to, to build on the point that I made about the mobile app. We want to make what we've seen in talking to users of other platforms is that the data is not making it in to the actual reps' hands. Um, oftentimes, it'll just be exported and sit on their desktop and where there maybe are running pivot tables on that. Uh, and it's really not integrated into their sales cycle. So uh, what our first customers have really liked is not only having access to the data, which to, you I mean, the, the listener's point, there are other platforms where you can go look at procedural data, but how do you make that useful? How do you actually build the capabilities into where a rep can come in and within a few clicks, start to work and look at different things in or different physicians in their territories that maybe they didn't know about and then have access to that information in the field in a way that's going to help them ultimately close pipeline. So I would think, you know, to sum that up in a really short answer, we feel like we have the best user experience on the market right now. And that's where, and in terms of where we're investing, 
It is that integration into your sales cycle. So sitting on top of a CRM, potentially if you've got HubSpot or Salesforce in place, and then helping that smaller company that maybe hasn't invested in a CRM yet, get the lightweight capabilities that they need to get uh, visibility into their five reps in the field and, the, and their pipelines, and then where to put those next six to seven reps and how to onboard them with prospect list. So I think it comes down to, to user experience and overall product vision with regards to how we're differentiating in the market right now. Right. And so I want to uh, emphasize that, that what people saw, and I got to see uh, some of it the other day, is that you do have something of a lightweight CRM that can act as an initial CRM type of system for a small company, but you can link it with other CRMs like Salesforce and or HubSpot. That's right. Yep. Okay. Uh, that's important. <clears throat> and then the, another question that uh, Lisa asks is primarily you are looking at Medicare claims, right? Do you supplement with other private payer activity? How do you, and how do you acquire that? You and I talked about that the other day and I thought your response was interesting. So, cause I asked the same question and, and then let me just give a little history of that. Then we'll circle back and make sure we answer Lisa's question is that, Years ago, I was consulting for a company as a contract VP of sales and marketing, and we did go out and look at uh, one of the companies that eventually became part of IQVIA, but okay. we talked to one of those companies, and we're, we were a small startup, and the price tag for this pile of data that they were, wanted to sell to us was fifty dollars or $60,000, and that was back in 2017, so I can only imagine what it costs now, and you were right. It was organized in tables. Perhaps they've, you know... They, they've moved on from that. Um, but back to Lisa's question. And anyway, 50, 60,000 for a small company is pretty risky endeavor yeah. if you're not sure how it's going to be used. But going back to uh, Lisa's question, uh, primarily you are looking at Medicare claims, right? And do you supplement it with other private payer activity? And how do you acquire that? Go ahead. Yeah, so that is right. It's Medicare, Medicaid claims uh, for the past four years. So we're as up to date as you can be on that data set. We have not purchased private payment data to augment that yet. Honestly, what I've seen within kind of going back to the persona that we're working with right now is that they're looking for high signal of activity uh, within a given center, within a given physician practice. They're not necessarily, they don't need the, the, so call it, depending on the procedure, Medicare, Medicaid, I think Mark Dixon in your last podcast um, with him said, makes up 50 to 60% of that procedural volume. We feel that for the smaller scaling growth stage medical tech company, that, that gives you a very strong signal that there is volume coming out of that practice and it makes sense to prioritize them. I think I'm 95% sure that in a couple of years, we will have kind of an upsell option to purchase access to private payment data. But for right now, we haven't seen the market really pull that out of us or express that need. Um, they can develop their territory targeting strategy using the Medicare Medicaid data. And okay. I think just to kind of finish out that point, so not augmenting with private yet, we are augmenting with other data gathering techniques to where we will take a physician profile that we have the procedural volume and start to augment contact criteria and sense of phone and email, known affiliations and IDNs, things like that. So while we don't have private procedural data, we are augmenting 
that uh, Medicare Medicaid procedural data set with firmographic characteristics, so to speak. Okay. And not to necessarily pull out the recipe and show it to everybody, but how many sources of data are you pulling from to create this picture uh, for your clients? Yeah, I'll, I'll just say tens. There's mm-hmm. there's a lot of, of different places you can pull this stuff. And I think the, the secret sauce is just how you keep everything sane. That that Medicare, Medicaid procedural data set isn't exactly organized in a way where it makes it easy to build an application on top of it. So kudos to my co-founder for, for keeping all this together and then finding ways to enrich it. Right. And then let's see, one time you had um, said that there was like a difference between what MedScat is versus what you call code-based marketing. Can you explain that? Yeah, I I think um, at at a high level, you know, what we've seen in a lot of our early sales conversations is that this idea of targeting particular billing codes um, is not necessarily new. I mean, it's a straightforward way to understand where there's relevant volume, right? Where we're excited to go with our early customers is to get a bit of a more full picture uh, of what a good prospect looks like for you. And where we're investing effort right now is looking at your current high producing physicians or medical centers that do a lot of volume with you. So where you've established that presence and obviously have some success stories or some case studies coming out of there. Then we take that profile and look at all the things that we know about that facility or physician in our data set, and then start to build lookalike models. Um, So instead of just relying on this particular vascular code, which may or may not be there depending on the data set and the the kind of the volume coming out of that practice over the past few years, we look at things like that patient comorbidity analysis, uh, their affiliations, uh, other billing codes that may not even be related to your target procedure, but that could be indicative that they're a similar practice. So that's where we're really trying to evolve is doing the, the lookalike analysis and then even preceding territories uh, using that information so that the reps don't have to do a lot of work on their end once they're onboarded to the platform. So yeah, that that's a bit in terms of how I think about differentiation. Going back to a previous question, we think that we can get pretty smart there, um, especially once we have hooks into an organization and can see the current positions that they're working with and then use that data to automatically update our platform. So we're, we're excited about the roadmap there. Okay. Then Lisa asks, and uh, we can dive right into this. Our client base is largely early stage med tech. So your lower price point is definitely intriguing. Do you mind sharing some of your subscription pricing information? So I, I'm, you and I talked about that a little bit earlier about, you know, maybe not wanting to get into super details. Um, I can, I know what it is. I can, I can just say that it is remarkably less expensive than um, somebody like IQV is going to be, or these other companies, but why don't you sort of explain the structure of the pricing and then you and Lisa can always get together later and you can give her the, <laughs> the, detail, yeah. the details. Lisa, I will be shooting you an email or a LinkedIn message after this for sure. Um, well, actually, Skylar, you end up, because you're a collaborator on the podcast and the video cast, you end up be becoming a member of the MedTech Leaders community. Awesome. And so you can also engage people there because people may have some questions for you. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to to hop in there for sure. Just so everybody's aware, like like you said, Ted, of how we've structured pricing, uh, we're really optimizing right now to find uh, early stage companies. Going back to your kind of the cross the chasm, which I know you're a big fan of, yeah. early stage companies that are innovators and want to work with a startup like us to figure out to to really lean in and figure out what's going to be useful. We can move quickly as an early stage company, and so we we onboard reps. I do a one-to-one onboarding with every rep as the CEO right now. I want to keep getting that voice of the customer. We follow up right two weeks after onboarding to get their feedback, what they like, don't like, and then we incorporate that into the platform. So just kind of wanted to set the stage that that we're really gunning to work with the companies that, that want to innovate and, and put a platform like this out there to help their reps be more efficient. Pricing model right now is based on the number of field reps that you have in your organization. So our entry tier is pretty broad. It will probably end up being a bit more narrow, but we charge an entry price for anywhere from zero to 25 reps in the field. Excuse me. Another price for 26 to 50. And then our top tier price is 51 plus reps in the field. So um, we've got customers across that spectrum right now that we're working with, thankfully. So we're kind of figuring out what's important to that 12 rep company versus what's important to the 55 rep company. And we're going to sure the pricing model will evolve, which is one of the reasons why I didn't really want to get into exact numbers. But hopefully that gives everybody an idea of types of companies we're working with right now, who we think we're a good fit for, and how we partner with them, and then how we structure pricing. Okay. And it's like anything in the technology adoption lifecycle process when you're working with innovators and early adopters, you have to be all over it, which it sounds like you are. I mean, you are personally onboarding people. You have to be all over it. And you might need to make some concessions initially, even though according to Jeffrey Moore, people aren't as concerned about price at that stage of the game. But in this business, they they are concerned about price. So you may make some concessions, but the the early people that work with, from, with you and are willing to help you evolve the product, they're going to, it's a win-win. They're yeah. going to win with all this data and you're going to win because you know, your product just gets better and better. Yeah. And I, I mean, just to, to kind of go back to the earlier point on differentiation, it's, it's, you know, the data is, is out there, right. And, and we feel like we're a good means to acquire that and keep it updated. We have updates in our data set every two weeks and then quarterly new procedural volume but it's, um, I would encourage sales leaders and marketing leaders to think about not just acquiring that data, but how does it actually get into reps' hands? How do they use it on a day-to-day, a week-to-week basis? How does it make its way into, going back to your previous podcast, defining the stages of the sales cycle and how you engage with a prospect at different stages, and then how you can use that data to get a competitive advantage and close deals faster in cycle or just get more deals in the top of the funnel. So data is just part of it. We want to help med tech startups and growth stage companies build a better sales process that's more rep friendly. Uh, that's probably the bigger thing we're focused right. on, actually. And what she also asks, does your profile data for physician uh, include emails? That's a big ticket add-on to most of these subscription services. So we touched on it a little bit, but tell us more about the profile data that you gather. 
Yeah. So we're able to gather emails for, I think right now it's between, it's around 70% of physicians in the data set, phone numbers for almost over 90. So going back to data gathering and augmentation, that's something that, that we're going to be focused on is continuing to enrich that. But uh, I think to Lisa's question, we're not doing modules or any other sort of add-ons and pricing. You, you get everything, access to everything right now in the platform, including contact information as we have it. And, and we hope that that continues to be uh, across a broader set of physicians and even higher fidelity. So yeah, um, access to it if we've got it. Right. And a, a point to listeners about using CMS data, which you can access uh, if you know how, you can access it on the internet yourself and you can learn how to dive into some of these records and searching for codes and things. And I've done this before. I've done this uh, when I was working with a previous company. It is a lot of work. It's very time-consuming uh, work and you don't end up with the um, information, the profile information that you were talking about uh, for the physician. So then you have to go get that. So if you have identified somebody, now you have to go dig up this information if you don't already have it. So the the work that that requires taking you out of the field and with what I know is your, I guess I could say your um, starting out pricing for startups that you're at right now this is very, very reasonable uh, pricing for this kind of service. The amount of time you save and you give people back in the field is super important. So it's it's pretty impressive. Let me look at my notes here to see what where else we were going. We've talked about a little bit about this, you know, how is MedScout different from the traditional data companies? And so we covered that a bit because Lisa essentially asked that question. Thanks, also for, for <laughs> listeners, you're he- hearing me refer to to the Lisa she's attending. Um, this is a live event in the MedTech leaders community. And so if, and we have a lot of busy people, Lisa's a CEO, we've got a lot of CEOs and other sales and marketing professionals. So sometimes um, uh, some of our members will uh, pop up and ask questions because they're interested in one of the, the live events. So that's what's happening today. Are you ready for more customers? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, we, we've, already started hiring and building out. So I mentioned raising venture capital as, as kind of part of Casey and I leaving AT&T. So we've got a strong balance sheet and are starting to make hires in key areas right now. And I love spending my time bringing new reps into the platform, getting their feedback, and then checking in later to hear things like they found new physicians to focus on, things like that. So uh, the more the merrier right now, for sure. Well, that, that, and that's a good point, and it leads me to a question, which is, can you share a, a couple success stories, even if it goes back to uh, Casey Jr. working with Casey Sr. and yeah. one of your current clients? What kind of success stories have you heard? You know, I, I think it, it just really comes down to, as a growth stage medical tech company, you're asking your reps to often cover a lot of ground, a lot of miles, for instance. So thinking through one of our first customers, who's a a cardiac company, they have a remote monitoring solution in market today that's just gotten some uh, favorable billing updates from CMS. And so they're growing the field team right now. That rep, one of the reps that's had a lot of success with the platform is responsible for all of South Texas. So San Antonio, down to the Valley, even out to El Paso, and a lot of places in between, 
There was a, a cardiovascular uh, surgeon or excuse me, cardiovascular specialist, I should say, in uh, the Valley that was doing a ton of remote monitoring with another product where the reimbursement wasn't as strong and the patient outcomes weren't as great. And so they had a great case study to come in and sell not only on the ROI side for the practice, but then also on the reimbursement side with the newly updated uh, information from CMS. So that was kind of one of our, our first success stories. And we've had a few similar like that, where even though that he has been in the cardiovascular space in South Texas for a long time, once he got tactical and looked at the actual makeup of the specialist in the Valley and started to make call points via prospect list as he was preparing for his next trip, a light bulb moment went off for him and was able to call on that doctor, get them some materials over, make the case and close them. So we've had a few like that, and, and hopefully you're going to be writing them up and, and making them publicly available as sort of our first sets of marketing materials. To your earlier point, the website is being redesigned right now, and we need to get more materials out in the market. But hopefully that paints a picture of, of what we've seen in the sense of onboarding reps, helping them focus on particular targeting criteria that's going to be relevant for their target market and then setting them loose. So that's a good example of a rep that has been in an area for a long time, was probably hired for that particular yep. reason yep. because they know the market, know the customers, but he didn't know this. Yeah. <laughs> and right. it was the data that that revealed it to him. And it, it's an opportunity that he could have otherwise missed and the company would have missed when they're right. you know trying to get off the ground. Yep, exactly. And I mean, I think his words was that he didn't, he had kind of disqualified them, right? Uh, and right. thought that they weren't a good fit. But then when they came back up within the territory search, search in MedScout, yeah, I'll stop by there next time I'm in the Valley, so to speak. And, and yeah, off to the races from there. For For startups, especially with new concept products, and I guess when I say new concept, I'm thinking almost revolutionary. So perhaps a new code is actually being written for the product. Mm -hmm. Perhaps it's a new CPT code, ICD-9 coding. And that's something technically you can't search, right? Because it's new. However, if you're looking for early adopters, you can go back over a four-year period with your technology. You can look for other codes of other recently initiated products or recently launched products that early adopters would be using perhaps more so than early majority or laggards in the technology yeah. adoption lifecycle. And you can go back several years and you can actually see when did this person jump on this new product and start using it. And you can actually sort out the early adopters from the people that are not so early adopters. So you don't waste time knocking on doors that people might open for you because yeah. They've known you for years as a rep and they like you and they're always curious about what you're seeing and or what you're selling, but they're not going to pull the trigger and do it because that's not their nature. That's not their persona. Right. right. So instead of wasting time on those people, this could help direct you back to the people where it makes the uh, biggest difference. And for new concept technologies get that get... Um, new CPT codes and, you know, payer privileges and so on and so forth, especially with uh, Medicare. Frequently, Medicare is leading on the reimbursement over private payers anyway, so if, if they've managed those strategies correctly so that Medicare 
information could be really good. Okay, so we've gotten pretty far here. I just want to look through my notes again to see what we've missed because this is really cool technology. I'm always looking for stuff that helps people out. Um, Lisa just uh, said, uh, that's a great point, Ted. Skylar, that should be an, an interesting new feature for MedScout. Run a query for early adopters. Ah, yep. That is interesting. Yeah. We actually set um, up the, um, that, that is a good idea. Set up like a it. algorithm that would pull those people out. So you'd have to work with your customer to understand what the parallel early adopting technologies are for that particular market. Like, let's say it's spine surgeons or it's urologists that specialize in a certain yeah. kind of procedure and then go from there. Yeah, but I totally possible. I think just kind of running through that and, and blue skying a little bit, you can look at for that particular space codes that have been released um, in a near term basis and then start to break down a market in terms of uptake of those new codes, um, for instance, that are going to be relevant to your technology. I think the key point there, though, is that it, it needs to be customized to the space um, that you're in and the particular target you're going after. But uh, yeah, I, I'd love to develop some early adopting target criteria across the data set and uh, put it in the reps' hands. Yeah, that's uh, uh, that'd be very, very interesting. What have we missed? Oh, I don't know. What have we missed? I think, you know, kind of went through origin story. Um, hopefully people understand kind of where we're at with MedScout, what we're focusing on, um, so the stage of the company. Yeah, I, I think, you know, just a to put it out there for sales and marketing leaders, going back to voice of the customer, if I'm not onboarding people and getting their feedback uh, in terms of our current customer base, I'd love to be talking to sales and marketing leaders to understand how they think about the market, how they think about tool adoption, competitive assessment, um, going back to what our space looks like. Um, and there's some scaled mature companies there as well. So always like to have those conversations. We are going to be releasing, we'll have the mobile app in market within the next couple of weeks um, for people to play around with that are that are customers. So excited to get that in people's hands. I think we've we've kind of run the gamut here. I'm happy to answer any other sort of general questions. Um, yeah, hope, hopefully that's a good overview of MedScout for this community. No, that really is great. And it's um, been a real pleasure to talk to you. It's very exciting to see you guys getting off the ground and seeing a company taking this data and trying to put it in a really useful platform um, and organizing it in a useful way for especially the, the startups and the small to medium size med tech companies where we need a lot of help and uh, this can be very helpful and reasonably priced. So uh, Skylar, thanks so much for being on the program today. And I know this is sort of your soft launch, um, but I, you're already busy, which is great. So I think you're probably going to transition from soft into hard. You're not even going to know it. So, but congratulations and thanks again for your time today. Man, Ted, thank you so much for having me and the dialogue. I'm excited to engage in the community and, and just learn from, from people in this space. Everybody's been so gracious so far. So uh, beginning of the journey, but we're, we're excited with where we're heading and who we're working with and who we have the opportunity to potentially work with. So would encourage anybody to reach out. would love to have a conversation. So thanks again for having me and taking the time. Absolutely. You're welcome. Do you want your sales team or admins spending hours upon hours searching for this information? 
like I said during the podcast, I have gone through the exercise of researching physician code usage via government websites. It is time-consuming. And then, if you think you have a winner, you have much more work to do to self-create the firmographic data. In fact, there is some firmographic data you will not easily get, like referral data and IDN affiliations, etc. So you're going to miss a lot. I'm a big believer in data to help sales teams. And in the past, I would have recommended to some small companies to spend the big dollars with one of the expensive data companies. This is why I'm excited to see MedScout's economical yet very effective platform on the market. Thanks again for spending some time with us today. I sincerely hope you have learned something of value. Now go win your week. <laughs>